Jesus, thanks for the time together. Thanks to sing the song, This is Amazing Grace, that we've come here because of your grace and your love and your affection toward us, that you long to be with us, so much so that you sent your son to die for us. God, that should blow us away. Thank you for that. And we ask that you would speak to us here now. God, would you give me clarity of thought and mind and uh, that words would be exactly what you have to say and give us courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. We're closing out a little three-part series called Generous, It's Not What You Think. And our goal of hope was that we'd kind of help reframe generosity when you think about generosity. Uh, because I think a lot of times how we think about generosity is it's an event it's contingent kind of on your circumstances. It's something you do, and that is true. But if I can give you kind of like one kind of big idea, generosity is not contingent on your circumstances, but it is a condition of the heart. That's really the big underlying theme throughout the last three weeks is that generosity isn't just about a the special circumstances or you know what it's thanksgiving and so we're going to do something or it's christmas and so we're a little bit more generous even though we're not at the mall we're generous with other people except when we drive you know some of those sort of things but it's not contingent on your circumstances but it literally is a condition of the heart in fact week one we said generosity is the condition of God's heart. And I mean, that's such a great place to start, right? I mean, just think about that as we move forward in the songs we sang about, that the condition of God's heart towards you is one of generosity. He who did not spare his own son for you and I, but gave him up for us, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? And that the God of the universe predisposition towards you and towards I is one of generosity and that we made in his image are actually hardwired for generosity. What an amazing, amazing thought. Last week, we asked one really big fundamental question out of that. And the question was one that if indeed God is a generous God and we actually are made in his image, that we are hardwired for generosity, we should ask this question. And if we ask this question and answer it well, it'll actually change your life. It'll reshape your relationships. It'll impact every facet of your life. And here's the question. is, is one that you, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to listen to it on uh, our podcast. What is God's view of money. More specifically, what is his view or perspective on your money? And you're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that because it's my money. And we kind of have this perspective that God is this guilt trip God. If you have something nice or good, you shouldn't really enjoy it. You should feel bad. Shame on you. You got to explain why you have something nice. And, or maybe he's greedy God. He always wants from you. And here's what we found. God's view. And we've been unpacking Matthew chapter 6 and his verse 19 to 24. This amazing passage. God's view on money was really three pictures in one practice. You remember it? Three pictures. The first picture was the picture of a treasure. 
the pictures of your eyes, and then the picture of a master. And, and the picture of treasure really talked about you, you, you can store up treasure here, which is real fleeting, or store treasure in heaven. You can leverage your life and your temporal things for what's eternal. And, and this big principle, this is amazing, you know this to be true. We all know this to be true. We don't like to admit it, but it's true, is that wherever your money goes, what it says is your heart follows. If, if generosity is a condition of your heart, what you need to know is wherever your finances go, your checkbook is the most spiritual document you have. Your heart follows that. And we just, it shows our values. And you can look at your bank statement and begin to see where your heart is going after. And then the picture of the eyes was really this picture, just as your eyes direct your whole body. We understand this about money. Money is never just about money, is it? It impacts all of life. It it impacts, you know, it impacts your relationships, doesn't it? For better or for worse. It impacts your peace of mind, doesn't it? The anxiety of your soul impacts your future and the weights and pressure you feel. Because it's never just about money. Money impacts all of life. You get this one area right, it, it makes everything, it impacts every area of life. You get it wrong, it impacts every area of life. And then finally, finally, was the picture of the master. Remember this? And Jesus says, God's perspective on money is you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and stuff. The chief competition for your heart, for God, is not the devil. I don't think anybody woke up this morning, you're like, what? Oh, wait, where are we in church? No one woke up this morning and said, okay, I got a big choice. Worship Satan. Worship God. I'm, I'm just wrestling here, you know. I just woke up this morning, and if you did, man, that's a whole nother talk, whole nother conversation, you know. Maybe want to go to another church. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Right? But the chief competition of your soul is stuff. See, God doesn't want or need your money, by the way. This isn't a conversation about money. This is a conversation about your heart and making him Lord of your life and asking the question, who's in control? God longs to be the master of your life. He's the creator of the universe. He is the one who gave his son to die for you. He doesn't long to be a side line issue. He longs to be master. And the chief competition, the thing that's going to get in the way between your devotion, he knows this to be true about you and I, is money is stuff. That's why God talks so much about it. And in fact, we said those are the three pictures, and then the one practice was something I learned as a kid. In fact, I have my, uh, my little bucket. My parents got me this little bucket here, and I'd add my coins in, and I got three buckets. That's one said give, one said save, and one said spend. And I went over to give, is, you know, and on my bucket, it's 10%, and then save is 10%, and then spend 80%, or live on 80%. That you just start off and acknowledge, God, your Lord, all that I have is yours, and I'm going to begin to leverage what I have for your kingdom and acknowledge that it's all about you. I don't want to live a life serving stuff. I don't want to live a life consumed by stuff. God, I want to live a life that's free, filled with peace and hope. I want to advance your kingdom, so I'm going to start with the first and best, 10%, and then save 10%, and then figure out how to live on the rest. No, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. 
If you think this is about us figuring out how to get your money, it's not. And if you feel, if you feel like, oh, I don't know about that Ingram's motives, that's great. Don't give to us at all. Don't, this is not, this is about you and your relationship with the God of the universe. That's why we're talking about this. And if you at all feel that kind of tension, go, you know what? Give somewhere else where you can be free, but give. You can't afford not to. In fact, what's amazing is that's where Jesus lands us in the last chapter. Because I think where some of us see that and we go, man, that's kind of a nice idea. And you know what? As I read and as I listened last week, I kind of understand that. But, But in reality, Ryan, I can't afford to do that. I mean, you don't get it. I'm a college student. I don't have two nickels to rub together. Uh, you're asking me to take, give, save, and spend. Like, I can't do that. You don't understand. You don't know how many college loans, how much student loans I have. You don't understand how much credit card debt I have. You don't understand. I'm trying to supply for my family. Uh, you, you don't understand. If, if I do that my life will have to significantly change. And what Jesus is going to say is you and I can't afford not to be generous. Because he almost reads our mind. I I mean, it's amazing how he does this. He almost reads our mind and understands that we're going to have this pushback of like, that's a nice idea. In fact, I think, man, in perfect circumstances, oh yeah, I'd really agree with that. I think that's really good. But I can't afford it. And he's going to go, no, 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 You, you don't understand. You can't afford not to be generous. Set this up. Let me ask you a couple questions. As we dive into the text here, think about this. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered why more rarely satisfies? I mean, mean, just think about it. Have have you ever wondered why more, and we kind of have this pursuit of more, and when I get more, then I'll be satisfied. Why having more, getting more, attaining more doesn't bring the peace you and I long for. I mean, I mean, have you ever wondered about that? Because we live in this world, we, we kind of think, if I get this, then I'll be satisfied. Once I get here, I mean, just think about it. You have a car that's on the fritz, and you're thinking about your car, and going, man, if I get a new car, then I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about my car dying, and I'm never sure if it's going to start. And then, and then, then, then you get the new car right? And you're like, oh, this is great. I mean, it's great for like two minutes, you know. And then all of a sudden, you have a whole new set of worries, right? Right? You had this whole set of worries with the old car that you didn't, you know, wasn't sure if it's going to start, but then you get a new car. With the old car, you could park it anywhere, right? Because you didn't care if anybody hit it. And in fact, you'd take those extra tight spots just to prove those nice cars a point, right? Okay. (laughs) At least I did. Um, and then you get the new car, and you park three blocks away and take up two spaces, and you're like, why? Because you're worried about your new car getting scratched. You, you now have a payment that you didn't used to have, and you're living under the pressure, and you're worried of how you're going to pay for it, and something happening. And all you did, and this is what, this is what happens, all you did was trade your old set of worries for a new set 
of worries. I mean, think about it. We, we make this jump to our job, and we're always going, you know, when I get that promotion, when I climb up to the ladder, when I get there, then I'll, yeah, then I can pay off my student debts, then I can buy a house, then I can, and then you get the promotion, you get the movement up, you make it up the corporate chain and the ladder, and you're like, woohoo, and there, and it's like great for about two minutes. And then, and then you realize, oh no, they're expecting me to work 70, 80 hours a week. I now have to lead a team. I don't know anything about leading a team. And I have all this pressure put on me. And you trade your current set of worries, and more always has offers this idea that it's going to leave and bring peace. But what inevitably what it does, inevitably, we see it all the time, inevitably what it does is all we do is we trade it for a new set of worries. You think, well, now I can afford that home. And you buy that home. You're like, oh, now I'm not renting my own. I'm like, yes, I'm, a, I'm a, like an adult and I got this and we're moving forward in life. And you're like, wait a second, I own a home. I, I, I got to pay a mortgage. I, no one told me that the roof was going to need to be replaced, that the water heater went out, and I, I don't know what to ah! Right? Isn't it interesting? Have you ever thought about it? Why more rarely satisfies? Why? And this is where Jesus begins to speak into it and say, this is why you and I can't afford not to be generous. See, all we do, all we do in life oftentimes is simply trade our current set of worries and upgrade them to a new set of worries. And here's the thing. They're often bigger. They're often heavier. We think the next thing, but it only compounds the worry. And we live under immense pressure. We live under immense anxiety and stress. And Jesus, in the next 10 verses, longs to speak to your soul and my soul about why we can't afford not to be generous and and begin to say, you know what, let me just tell you this. Generosity is genius because what it does is it's literally the antidote for the anxious soul. If you got your Bibles, if you would open them up, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We're going to finish out, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to finish out this last passage. In these 10 verses, Jesus unpacks why generosity is so gen- genius and why worry is so worthless. Now, now, let me just say on this, as I teach this, this passage has been extremely, extremely powerful for me. As I've shared, you know, I, I've wrestled with anxiety myself and wrestled with this. And what Jesus shares is so powerful. But he starts with something that when I first read it just felt so insensitive. You know, I'm like, come on, Jesus, that's no help at all. But he follows it up with nine other verses that I'm like, whoa, now I get it. But here's what he says. Listen to what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Thanks, God. That's that's helpful. Yeah, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Therefore, the therefore is connecting, by the way. This is why we know it's connected to what Jesus just said about treasure, about your eyes, uh, about master. He says, in light of that, in light of this reality of God's view about finances, God's view about money, in that view, he says this, do not worry. 
Do not be consumed. Do not be anxiously, sleepless nights, carried away by your cares. I love what Corey Timboon says about worry. She says, worry is a cycle of insufficient thoughts whirling around a center of fear. And Jesus is saying, listen, guys, we live in a society where all we simply do, we think the more is going to finally bring peace, and we're trading worries back and forth. He's saying, you know it, you see it, we don't often acknowledge it, but if you can begin to see it and go realize it doesn't work, right? It, It doesn't work. So stop it right? I mean, we get that, but just come on. Just, just let me give you a better way to do life that will bring peace, that won't rob you of your joy. Now, notice what he says next. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. I mean, this is like really, really profound and yet really, really obvious. We all understand this. Is not life more? Isn't there more to life than stuff? And we would all agree that life is not about our stuff. Life is not found in our stuff. But Something happens sideways in our soul that all of a sudden, that promotion, that job, that house, that attaining, that next thing, that all of a sudden becomes the focus, the fuel, and we are consumed by it and becomes our life. And he's like, guess, guess, guess what? Life is more than that. Generosity reminds us that life is more than just our stuff. A poignant example was... Um, I was a pastor uh, in Georgia, and I was actually doing a youth ministry a lot of years ago, and we've moved out from Georgia to San Jose, back home to the area, the Bay Area, and as we did, I got a call from one of my high school students. He was a graduating senior. He had an older brother that was in our, our group there. I got a call from him that his dad committed suicide. And, and it just sent shockwaves. I mean, this was one of those core families. They're amazing. On the outside, it looked like everything was great. I mean, they had this beautiful house in this gated country club. And I mean, it just looked, I mean, they like were the Barbie and Ken couple, big, strong, strapping kids. I mean, everything looked right on the outside. Now, now he was a venture capitalist, and he invested big into this one company, and as they were getting it started, getting uh, going, um, what he needed was for this company to sell, and then they would have made it. But if they didn't sell, then he lost everything, literally go bankrupt. They had someone on the line, and everything was really, really good, and then they, um, they backed out at the last moment. And he began to examine his life, And began to examine the worth of his life. And he came to this conclusion. I am worth more dead than alive. I can provide more for my kids based on my life insurance than if I live. See, somehow, subtly in our souls, isn't it true? Somehow, stuff we equate with life. And Jesus reminds us, life is more than your stuff that you have. See, I can promise you, I can promise you that those boys and that wife and now grandkids that he never met, 
would way rather not have stuff, not have the house, and yet have their dad. And we're reminded, life, life, life is more than stuff. So why would you spend your life worrying about your stuff? That's the point Jesus is making. Now, he goes on to say this. Now look, look at the birds, verse 26, of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. I mean, you just ever kind of looked outside and saw nature in action and just been all of like, God orchestrated that. God set up systems for the birds to actually be taken care of. I mean, you just think about the birds. They don't have a savings account. They don't have an investment fund. They don't have, you know, a 401k, right? I mean, they don't have any of that. Now, Jesus isn't saying for some of you guys that are like, I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to be happy and sit home and play video games. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't worry, not don't work, okay? Let's just be clear on that. Amen, somebody? Somebody? Okay. All right. All right. Just saying. See, the birds actually work extremely hard. They're just not worried every single day. Now, listen to the point. He says, are you not much more valuable than they. I mean, in, in regards, and you look at a little sparrow, you look at a little bird, and in comparison, God would say, you are way more valuable to me than them. And I figure out how to take care of their daily needs. Are you not much more valuable than they? And some of you just need to hear that tonight, that you're valuable to the God of the universe. I think the question for you is, do you, what do you believe about God's affection towards you? I mean, when he looks at that, that he looks and he says, man, I care. You're valued. You have a heavenly Father who cares for you. And he says this. This brings everything into perspective. Can any one of you worry by adding a single hour of your life. Yeah, I mean, just think about how absolutely useless, worthless worry is, and yet we all do it, right? We all buy into the game of worrying and wrestling, and just think about how absolutely useless it is. He, he says, can you add an hour of your life by worrying, by going, oh, I don't know how this, that's going to turn out. What does worry produce? Jesus say, nothing. In fact, worry produces what? An ulcer. That's what it produces. You can actually shorten your life, not lengthen your life, by living anxiously consumed. And what do we worry about? We worry, think about this, we worry about the unknown, the future, and things we can't control. And we're we're wrapped up in it. Wouldn't it make sense, just think about this, I mean, wouldn't it make sense to put our hope or trust in the one who has control instead of spending massive amount of energy, time, and thought anxiously worrying, and yet at the end result, this is like one of those verses you may just need to kind of memorize this if you've been in my case where you're like going, because I've really wrestled with this. And like, what does it produce? Nothing. Absolutely 
nothing. I love what uh, Spurgeon says on this. He says, anxiety doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it only empties today of its strength. So he's got this picture. He tells us about, okay, don't worry. And then he moves on and talking about life's more. Life's way more than stuff. And he gives us this picture of the birds and how God cares. And now he's going to shift to a picture about our clothes. And like really, we spend a lot of time laboring. And some of you worked really hard tonight, by the way. You know, thinking about what you're going to wear. And some of you need to work a little bit harder, okay? Um, I'm sorry. We just got to be honest. Uh, I'm just kidding. But, but you know what? We spend a lot of time thinking about how other people think about us and what we're going to wear and how we're going to look. Notice what he says. And why do you worry about clothes? Why do you worry about your image? Why do you worry about what people are going to think about you, your appearance? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If, 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 if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. I mean, just think about it. I got some roses. And I didn't, my wife picked me up uh, flowers this morning. I think it's the first time she's brought me flowers, which is kind of cool. Um, and, and I mean, just think about this. We got, okay, right here, we got a oh, sunflower right here, and it's really beautiful, and it's like bright yellow, and it's got a dark middle. That's about all I got on that. Um, I, I mean, and okay, here we got, think about this. I mean, these are all different flowers. Now we got, we got this beautiful sunflower, but then you got this carnation, right? Is that a carnation? Okay, thank you. Uh, and you got this carnation here, and it's just this brilliant red, you know, and then, okay, I, I want you to be impressed with my, uh, my flower uh, knowledge, okay, you got a Gerber daisy, huh, anybody, come on, yeah, only, they were in my wedding, that's the only reason I know, uh, it's just, I mean, just look at this, the creativity of God over something that's absolutely useless, I mean, come on, right? I mean, a flower, all it's designed for is pure beauty in and of itself, and it comes up one day, and it's gone. And God says, not even the richest, wealthiest king is as extravagantly, beautifully clothed. And then he says, to you, here today, gone tomorrow, right? How much more? I mean, just think about this. Think about this. We just sang to the God who when you approach him, he is the God of the how much more. Not the God who is holding out, withholding, or holding back. But he's saying, guess what? If you would get this area right, this is why you can't afford not to be generous because I am the God of the how much more. And when you begin to put your life into my hands, I long to care for you in ways you could never imagine. He has this little tagline at the end of this. He says, you of little faith, do you realize when we worry, it reveals the object of our faith? That, that anxiety, that being consumed and just 
fretting over reveals what we're putting our trust into. And it's really generally either we're putting our trust in ourselves and our ability or in our stuff oftentimes, isn't it? Instead of the one who's in control. Question, what do you believe about God's ability to care for you? What do you believe? And he closes it here, begins to take us home in verse 31. He says, so, in light of that, so, as a result of the God of the how much more, he says this, do uh, not worry. Don't, don't be saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? These are all basic necessities of life. And then he has this big statement. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And that word pagan, when it's used in the New Testament, it's, it's, it's used for those who do not believe there is a God. He says, when we worry, when we live worried-filled, anxious lives, when we constantly trade one set of worries in for a new set of worries, that old car for a, a new car, saying that will finally fix it, and that will bring peace, that job for the new job, vice versa. What we're doing when we're running after that, when we're consumed after that, when we think that will bring peace, when we think that will bring life, here's what he's saying. Functionally, you are living as if there is no God. And he says, and your heavenly Father knows that you need him. God knows. I mean, and some of you are here and you're under tremendous pressure. You're feeling tremendous weight. And you're filled with deep anxiety and worry about the future. And God says, I know. The immense God of the universe knows. It means he's intimately active in your life. That he's not distant and he says, I know. I mean, what do you believe about God's ability to see you? That he sees you. He cares. His affection towards you. He loves you. Here, verse 33 is why you can't afford not to be generous. But, so we talked about what to stop. Don't do this. Quit that trading game. God's got to trade for you, Okay? He's got to trade. If you'll trade with him, he says, stop trading off. It's not that stuff's bad. Just don't serve it. Don't run after it. Don't think that's going to bring ultimate peace. Don't live lives consumed that are worried and focused. And ah, what if about, ah, I don't know. He says, would you make a trade with me? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He says, if you will reprioritize your life, reorder your life around one of generosity, meaning that you put God first, his kingdom first, his ways first, he says, I'll take care of you. You trade you're worried for life, and you say, God, I'm just going to pursue you, and I'm going to trust that you will take care of the rest. I'll take care of the rest. He says, seek. He says, seek first his kingdom. You know what his kingdom is? I, I, it's simply God's agenda here on this earth. I, let, me, let me just tell you, if, you, if you don't know what God's agenda is here on the earth, I, I you know, God spoke to me. In a, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Hey, I didn't have any big revelation. It's just in his word, you know, I, I read it, okay? Um, here's God's agenda. 
Those who don't know him would come to know him and experience his love, his peace, his grace, and new life in Jesus Christ. That's his agenda. That's what God's up to in San Jose. That's what God's up to at your school or at your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood. That's his agenda on planet Earth, is to, for the people experience a life-changing relationship with the God of the universe, and that comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what he is up to. And he says, would you seek first my kingdom and then my righteousness, my way, my way of doing life? Would you order your life the, w- the way I say to order life? And, and if you do that, if you do that, you're trading, instead of trading a new set of worries that compound, you're trading with me, and I long to bring peace. See, it's God's antidote to the anxious soul. And here's what we do, though. When we, we don't seek first God's kingdom, God is often our backup plan, isn't he? I mean, if we're really honest about this, right, right? Uh, he's kind of like, okay, I got my deal, and if it works out, great. And I might even say, thank you, Jesus, you know, if I'm real spiritual. But I did it myself, you know. And, but he's often our backup plan for when things go bad, right? I, I mean, and so all of us, whether you're even religious or, you know, non-religious, it, when things go bad, we tend to go, oh, God, help. Most of us. And he becomes our backup plan. He says, wouldn't you just make me your first plan that I long to provide for you? So, God's inviting you to trade with him. I, I, got the, I came up with this kind of cute line. It, it may be cheesy, okay? I mean, it's, it's not me. It's cheesy. Let's just talk. Let's be honest. It's cheesy, but it's true. If, if, If you will give God your first and best, you can trust him for the rest. I I know, I I know it's a little cheesy, maybe, you know, but, but if you would begin to choose and order your life and go, God, instead of trading, because it's not working anyways, let's just be honest, it's not working anyways, you're trading worries for other worries, and it's this constant cycle. Instead of trading worries, you go, God, I'm going to trade with you. I'm going to give you my first and best. I'm going to begin to live life into your kingdom, and as a result, I'm going to trust you for the rest. God says, I will give you today what you need. And you're like, well, what about the future? What if this? And what about that? And he's not saying don't have any plans and all that kind of stuff. But he says, I'll give you today what you need. By the way, today is all you currently have. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Many of the worries and concerns that you have that you spent anxiously waiting and worrying about never come to fruition, do they? And just say that with me, would you? Today is all I have. Would you just say that with me? You ready? One, two, three. That was pretty good. Now let's just say it like you mean it, because we don't really we don't really get that, right? If we would just begin to embrace today, this moment, this second, this hour, this is all I have. And God has promised He'll take care of you and give you what you need in this moment. Now. Just say that again. Today is all I have. Today is all I have. Yeah, that's good. That's real good. Good job. If you would give God your first and best, you can trust Him with the rest. Let me give you three areas giving God your first and best. First, we've talked about a lot the area of your treasure, your finances, your money. 
where you'd reorder your finances and you go, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. In fact, sometimes it doesn't make sense. We did that as a church in the time, and I shared last week, when it doesn't make sense, you're launching a new church, and you shouldn't be spending money outside your doors. And we've just said, no, 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 we have the God that if we give him our first and best, he'll provide the rest. And, by the way, he has. He's taking care of us every step of the way. Again, again, if there's anything here that you're going like, I don't want to give, I think that Ryan guy, he just wants my money. Don't give here. This is not about that. I long for you to experience God's peace in your life. I long for you to experience joy. God doesn't want money or stuff to rob you of that. And so that's not about here. That's about you and him and where you trust him in that area. How about in the area of your time? In the area of your time where you say, okay, well, I got, you don't understand, I don't, I don't have the time. My life's crazy full, and I mean, I got to run after kids or, you know, it's so many classes or work. I mean, they expect me to work like 18 hours a day, and it's crazy. You don't understand. It's fourth quarter, Ryan. It's fourth quarter, and I'm not talking about football. It's fourth quarter at work. And you, God say, if you would entrust your time to me. I mean, I mean just think about how wise it is you know that problem that you're wrestling with, that issue at work, that, that, that relational thing that you would go to the God of the universe who could give you wisdom and longs to speak to you and help you and guide you. A practice that I started in college that has served me immensely is something where I finally kind of got into the educational thing in college. I wasn't a very good student in high school. I don't know how I got into college with my grades in high school, but God was really gracious. But then I re- once I got into an area that I love, man, it was like, okay, I was an A-B student. I'm like, okay. But for me to be an A-B student, that meant I had to work really hard, and I had to study every single day. And so I'm studying every single day, and I'd go down to the Seattle's Best in downtown Chicago and study down there. And I realized that what happened was life's busy, and God was just pushed out to the side. And, and I was just like, I just never have time. And I made this decision. And it's one that I've, uh, I've kept ever since then. Before I study, I'm going to spend time with God. Before I study, I'm going to spend time with God. So when I'd go to the Seattle's Best, I'd bring my Bible. I'd be like, people are going to see me with my Bible at Seattle's Best. What are they going to think? You know, and then people would ask me, hey, what, do you have a Bible? Yeah, and I had the big, you know, like big Bible back then. Um, and... And we got in killer conversations. But that, it's amazing. I gave God my first and best. I felt like I didn't have the time to give. And by the way, he gave me enough time. There's things where I'm like, oh man, that came so, I don't know. Thank you, God. And I do it today. Before I start work, it's just how, it's just how I do it. I go, I'm going to spend time with God. And maybe you would just start with 10 minutes in the morning. Maybe you just start reading Proverbs and you just go, okay, today's the 24th. And so I'm going to read chapter 24 of Proverbs. I'm currently reading the Psalms. You can read the Psalms along with me. Where you just begin to pray, ask God, God, I desperately need to hear from you. Would you speak to me? You'd get into his word and read it, if this Proverbs, and you say, okay, what one thing do I need to do in light of this today? How is my life going to change? And you tell somebody about it but that you would entrust your time to him and see if you don't get the wisdom that you need. See if you don't begin to see God show up and it actually creates margin in your life that you needed. That you would entrust him with your treasure, your finance, trust him with your time, and then finally trust him with your talents. 
your energy, your abilities, your skills. Whether it's at work or here, that you say, God, I, you made me. And you made me for a purpose, and you designed me, and you long for that to be leveraged for your kingdom. That in my life and how I live it out at school, at work, or at awakening, your kingdom would be lived out through me. That my life and abilities and time would be leveraged about what, around what you're about. And I'm going to use what I have, whether it's tech, whether it's art, whether it, it's my job place, whatever it is. And you go, I'm going to leverage that for your kingdom. I just think about it this way. And just imagine, if we all did this at Awakening, we're going to do a big Advent conspiracy. Last year, amazing, God allowed us to raise 25 grand to build two wells in Zimbabwe, and we're going to try to build some wells in Haiti. But just imagine if we just all began to trust God with our finances here. Just imagine collectively, we wouldn't ever have to do like a special thing. We just have extra money to figure out how to leverage to building the kingdom. And we'd go, yeah, we're going to build Four wells. We're going to do some things at this school and how we could make an impact in this city if we just kind of combine that all together. If we began to think about this at your workplace, at your school, you began to entrust your time to God and you begin to spend daily time with Him. Imagine just how your responses to your coworkers, your classmates would change and how you'd begin to treat people and the impact you could have. Imagine if just here, if we began to do that with our talents and abilities, we had never have to go, hey, we need some help in children's ministry. Hey, we need some help in the cafe. Because we'd have too many people. We'd begin to look at other churches and go, hey, how can we help? Hey, the city, what can we do? And we'd be able to leverage the full strength of the church and see what God could do. I mean, just imagine how amazing that would be. Now, at the end of the day, though, Jesus is saying, for you personally, The genius of generosity is that it is God's antidote for anxiety and worry for your life. The reason God says this is he doesn't want money or stuff to rob you of peace and joy. Would you? Would you? Give God your first and best. I mean, try it out. You can't afford, you can't afford not to be generous. And then I promise you, you'll begin to experience the God who provides, the God who will take care of the rest. Let's pray. God, thank you. One, that you speak into these massive areas of life, things that oftentimes we don't understand how it's all connected, but you speak with such clarity. And God, I ask for um, just my friends here that you would, you would do a work and give them the courage to take the next steps, to trust you, to take the next steps, to put you first, to give you what's their best to see you show up this week. God, thanks. Thanks for the time together. Thanks for your love for us. Thanks that you care about us. That you count us more valuable and that you're the God of the how much more. 
May we lean into that. In Jesus' name, amen.